So Colossians 3.20 this morning, and we're in this passage of, uh, that we started last week that we're talking about relationships, and we talked about marriage relationships, that community in marriage, and how important that is for, for our Christian walk and to understand what God ri- originally intended. And then our relationship with our kids, uh, for those that are, that are parents or, or aunts or, or uncles that, you know, you feel like parents in a sense, the relationships that we have with our kids. And then also we'll, next week we'll get into our work relationships. Um, you know, the Bible talks about slavery, but what it's really talking about is, is our work, our work environment, and how the Lord is trying to center all three of those type of relationships around him and through him and how important that is in our lives. So we talked about the community of, uh, community relationship of marriage last week. And, you know, could you imagine a world where husbands and wives actually served one another instead of trying to be right? Now, how many of you that are married have ever tried, you know, you, you've gone through that argument and you're like, I'm, I am right about this. I'm going to make my point that I'm right. Okay, only a few of us. Good. Okay. I've never done that. No, never. No, no. No, of course, we all have. On on both the husband's point and the wife's point, we've all been in that, that point where we're trying to make sure that we are heard, that we are right. But imagine working to serve one another. Imagine where, where couples really enjoy one another and keep the vow together uh, to one another that they made. And they, they value and they honor that promise. And there's no, there's no betrayal, there's no pain, there's no bitterness. Where husbands and wives communicate honestly in a loving way with grace and truth. That's what the marriage relationship should look like. And, and if you want more of that, to, you know, grab last week's sermon off, uh, you know, off the web or, or um, ask for it. We'll make a copy for you. But now imagine a world where parent-child relationships work right, where the child honors their father and their mother, where parents are patient and, and loving and wise and shaping the, their children for the future. You know, my son Brandon right now, you know, he's all about ninjas. And, you know, you round me along, you know, the green ninja, oh man, he's all excited. We're, we're about ready to get him a bike, and I guarantee he's going to pick the green bike. We're going to let him pick a bike, and I guarantee it, it'll be green. Well, I found a, a Ninja Valentine's card for him, but don't tell him. It's great. But, but uh, you know, last week he decided to start calling me Sensei, the wise, <laughs> instead of Daddy. And I, I'm all for that. I'm pushing that as much as I can. But imagine him following that through. Not necessarily the Sensei part, but the wise part. I mean, I can only hope and wish, but I can also teach through a loving relationship that, that if he will treat me like that, to, you know, listening and obeying when we ask, man, that, that's every, every parent's dream, right? Well, that's a perfect relationship, a child-parent relationship that God wants. Now, skip forward and imagine a, a wor- you know, world where, where employees and employers work together and, and, and you know, they, they loved working together. Where employees stayed, you know, working on tasks and they followed through on their work. Or, you know, where employees or employers are devoted to their employees. Met their, their needs at work, whatever they did need, whatever they did need and, and didn't, over, you know, over, overburden them in a sense with too much. You know, most, uh, a study says that most employees leave their bosses, not their jobs. And we're going to talk about that next week. Have any of you ever, I've left a boss. 
You know, I've left jobs, I've moved on, I've, you know, in a sense moved upward in our worldview of how we look at things, but I've also left a boss, because it just, yeah. Anyway, that's a whole other thing, and I'm not going to get into that next week. Swing him and I. No, anyway. But imagine a boss that would help, you know, get you to your full potential, recognize that, you know, your individual gifts and how unique you were. Imagine a world like this. Well, this is what we're pursuing over these three weeks here. And this is Paul's vision of how a Christian should live out their lives in these three areas. Very concrete here. Very practical. Followers of Christ ought to do this in marriage and family and their work environment. And they ought to do it in Jesus' name. Now, today we're going to talk about the parent-child relationship. And slide, I mean, uh, in uh, the first slide here, it says uh, in uh, Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And in verse 20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Paul is calling us to rethink the parent-child relationship because in that culture, children have no rights. They, they absolutely had none whatsoever. Parents could sell their kids off to pay for their own debt. Now, don't raise your hand, but think if you have any credit card debt. Children start worrying. I mean, literally, here's my child. They will serve you in your home. They will make your meals. They will clean your house. They will dig your garden. They will do whatever you tell them to do as long as my debt gets paid off. What a great thing to do. You know, I, I think we need to bring that back. I, you know, okay, maybe not. But children just, you know, they, they were basically slaves. Verse 20, it says, children, Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. So children, youth, young, young adults. Not necessarily young adults, but young, young. You know what I'm talking about. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. This means a spirit of cooperation. Right now, I'm trying to get Brandon to, to not get upset when I ask him to do something. Hey, Brandon, you left your backpack from school right in the middle of the walkway that we try to walk around. And when you're holding a baby, you don't see what's right in front of your feet. You know what I'm saying? So I will trip over it. And luckily, I haven't yet. So I'm trying to teach him. Well, Brandon, what does he do? Well, he gets upset. He doesn't want to do it right there. So he runs off doing this. I'm like, well, okay, well, go beat yourself up, you know? I mean, come on. Running down all the way down the hall, you can hear it all the way to his room, you know? He just does not like it when I tell him to do something. Man. And I'm just thinking, I mean, you can imagine. That, I mean, it's funny now, but when he does it, not so funny. It's really, really irritating. And I'm trying to teach him, if you would just do what I ask you to do, you'd be much better off. So kids, you know what honors your parents the most? When they ask you to do something, you follow through with it. Just obey them. The text says when you obey, and it doesn't mean agree, okay? 
doesn't mean agree, but when you obey, it pleases the Lord. It's not about pleasing your parents. The result is is it pleases your parents, but it's about pleasing the Lord. If you are a Christian and a young person, you need to obey your parents because it pleases the Lord. Look at the bigger picture. One day you will look back and you will be glad about that. Don't make excuses. One night I was trying to get Brandon to eat, and I, I've kind of used this example again, but it's so funny. And he kept playing around, not eating at all. And he said, well, it's not on a fork. So I, you know, solved that problem for him. <laughs> I went and found every fork we had in the house, and I stabbed every piece of meat he had on his plate. And I said, there you go. It's on a fork now. You know, solve that problem. I mean, funny example But I shouldn't have to go to battle with my child over eating his meal, especially when he likes what we're eating. You know what I'm saying? Now, again, he's five at the time he was four. You kind of expect that. I don't expect that at 14. You know what I'm saying? But still, we have 14-year-olds that act like that. When a child learns how to respect the parent's authority, they're ready for God's authority in their life. It's about respect. So when you obey... And you need to obey when they ask you to do your homework, or the dishes, or clean the room, or mow the lawn, or or be nice to your brother or sister, or get off the computer, or put the phone down. You just need to do it. It You know, Brandon has not caught on to this concept yet. I am more generous when he does something I ask him to do. I'm totally more generous. I let him do more. I give him more snacks. I even buy him more things when he obeys. When he doesn't obey, guess what? I'm not so generous. He doesn't understand that. I start taking things away from him. So it's easier if you just do it. You don't, again, you don't have to agree. I guarantee I did not agree with everything my dad, you know, every choice my dad made. You know, one rule I have for any parent that goes on on a youth trip when I was a youth pastor was, you do not discipline your own child. And the reason for that is, it's because my dad went on every youth trip I ever went on, okay? Which was great because he was there to support the youth group. And I mean, we needed drivers. It was a little larger youth group and, and all this kind of stuff. I mean, we're driving to Florida and there's like 15, 20 vehicles, you know, and a trailer packed full of luggage. And, you know, it's always fun to put somebody's underwear in the back. Okay, anyway, um, but on every trip, he's always, I mean, he was, Alan, stop that. 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 He wanted his children to be perfect. Well, guess what? We were children. We weren't perfect. Now, we were good kids. But I always felt he was always on my shoulders on that end. And now, Mike, don't get the wrong impression. My dad did a lot of great things. So don't think that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm negative on my father. I'm really not. I'm just using this as an example. So when I was a youth pastor, I always told parents, hey, come on the trip. If you see your child doing something you don't like, you come find another adult and let them decide whether they need to stop it or not. Because then it preserves that relationship. It allows them to have some fun with their child. And we'll talk about that in a second. So, all our parents here are sitting there going, yeah, that sounds great, right? So kids, do we let them off the hook right there? No. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Paul teaches us to bring our children in, bring our children toward us and not away from us. We're not supposed to push them away. 
to the point where they become bitter or discouraged. Fortune Magazine did this study on, on parents and children, and, and you know, you look at the CEOs or executives across the country, and, and they would grade them like, you know, good CEO, you know, grade A, and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And usually that's, you know, type A personality, wants things done when they say it, and they want things done the way they want it done, and, you know, all that, you know what I'm talking about. So they got grade A for their, their job. You know what kind of grade they got for their families? F's. They did a family study, and they got F's because they were so concerned about work. The characteristic that they used to succeed in business did not work for the family. 36% of their children you know, either had drug abuse or needed psychiatric help compared to 15% of the normal population. Has had a lot to do with long work hours controlling the household, having high expectations that, that couldn't be met, and, and demanding that their children never fail. But the, you know, the home is, is different than work. Because the home, we have, to, you know, we have this challenge of lovingly nurturing our children to a full maturity in faith and in life. These are very different leadership challenges. Child development specialists tell us, that what happens between infancy and 10 years old is a critical time. Now, you know, 11 through 25 is not far behind it, but especially those younger age, yeah, we, we go all the way to 25. Did you know that? Because they're still learning. You know, we, 18 is adult, right? How many of you kicked your children out at 18? And there's some that are going, yeah, yeah, I did. I'm proud of it. You know, that, that's a good thing, you know, sometimes. But... The beginning years are critical because you either set their life up for for blessing or brokenness. One of the two. Very important decade. It has a lot to do with how much the dad kind of breathed their life into their children in, in those 10 years. So dads, let me ask you a question. Are you engaged in your children's lives? Are you tuned in? Are you loving? Are you supportive? You know, we are pulled in so many different ways, especially today. But are we giving our hours in the right place? I mean, think about it. You know, life expectancy for a male is 70 years when they do all the, you know, the math. Some are older than that. Some are younger than that. But 70 years. So do the math. One-seventh of your life for men. One-seventh you can set up your child for a life of blessing. Now, the study also said don't give up. You can mold your children after the, you know, the, the, the beginning, you know, the zero to ten years. You know, you can mold that. Especially in things you weren't able to accomplish, the, you know, in the first ten years. It's still worth the time to change now. Because when we devote ourselves to our children, it can change their emotional. It can meet those emotional needs that they have. It can make a world of difference for them. You know, if you're not good at it, I say figure it out. It's worth it. Go read a book. Go to, you know, a a parenting conference. You know, Hume Lake does different things like that. Do something because it's important to be involved in our children's lives. Now, do you know the single most influential thing that affects a, a child following Christ? It's a dad who is following Christ. The single most influential thing. 
So dads, the best gift that you can give your family is to develop spiritually. You know, for some reason, the ladies are all over Bible study. So ladies love, you know, they'll do Bible study. Men, it's like pulling, it's like going to the dentist. Do you know what I'm saying? You want to come to a Bible study? Ah, ah, you know, got to yank it, yank them there, you know? Maybe we need to start one. Now, moms, if you see a dad doing this, doing this well, you know, involved in their kid's life, tell them they're doing a good job. You need to honor them because it can be such a blessing for generations on. Now, Paul also says it's, it's easy to respond to them in a way so that they lose heart. Did you know, come to find out children are naturally disobedient? Who knew? Man. So we have to figure it out. We have to figure out how we respond. When I respond, is this discouraging them? Is it not discouraging them? You know, no matter what their age, one of the best things you can do at this point is to make a commitment to be invested in your child's life. Well, some people say, well, yeah, I do that. Okay, we'll do it better. How do we do it better? Well, I'll give you some pointers how to invest in, in the relationship. Colossians 1.17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord uh, Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul says this, and he gets real practical. So I want to get practical this morning. Parents, if you're not taking notes, here's the time to get out a notebook, uh, back of the bulletin, dig in the pockets for a pen, you know, start, you know, you know, I've been encouraging people to take notes. Here's a good time. Now, I'm not going to dock you points if you don't, okay? But I want you to write down these three words. Parenting is tough, okay? You need to understand that. Here are some relationship principles, and, and these can be applied to any relationship, not just parenting. Why is it interesting, um, or, or what is interesting is that I've worked with kids and, 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 and youth and college students all my life. And I used to get this look all the time. Well, you know the look that said, <laughs> you don't have kids, you don't understand. Well, now that I have kids, apparently I understand. I don't get that look anymore. But working with kids for so many years, I did understand a lot more than I thought I did. You know what I'm saying? I'm not an expert. But I've been working with junior hires um, for a long time. And working with junior hires is a form of birth control. Did you know that? If you don't want to have kids, talk to Joshua. Help out with the junior high group. I'm telling you, okay? I've seen great kids. I've seen troubled kids. And I've learned a few things. I entered full-time ministry in 1994, right after I got married. But I also helped out with the junior high group when I started in high school. And I worked with, with youth groups when I started in, you know, when I was in college. So since 1986, I've been working with kids. So I do know a couple of things. I'm not the master of it. I also know that adults act a lot like kids. Did you know that? A lot of times adults act like kids. So I've been in youth ministry all my life, apparently, you know. But here's some things that I've seen make a difference. And before I get into this, I do want to say this. I've seen some really messed up kids come out of great families. That I would look at that family and say, you know, as a father and mother, they did, I mean, they did 90% of what was right, and their kid came out messed up. 
Okay, so it's not just, I mean, don't put it all on your shoulders. You're not all to blame in a sense. You know what I'm saying? But I've also seen some really good kids come from some really, really messed up families and messed up homes. It can happen. So if you are a child or parent from a messed up background, hold on to the hope of Christ because he can make you a great, mature adult and parent. Even if you messed up with your kids growing up, maybe they're an adult today or a young adult, you can still change things through Christ. Don't just give in. Don't just give up. You can only do your part in that, so do your part and pray and wait for the Lord on the other. So I want everybody to raise their right hand. Come on, do it. Everybody raise their hand and repeat after me. I have messed up. I have messed up. Okay, we've got that out of the way. Okay? Every one of us have messed up in one way or another when it comes to family, friends, children, and all those things. So, here are six things that you can do to mature your family in a godly way. And it kind of, I don't do this that often, but it fits the acronym family, okay? Uh, so if you're taking notes, which I believe you should, F in family means fun. Healthy families make fun. Now, we don't all need to be com- uh, comedians, but we need to have fun together. A home where fun and laughter is this natural environment or natural element is a place where, where kids will hang out with their friends. You know, you go, growing up, you know, where did I hang out? With my friend's house where we're having fun, right? A lot of times that was around my house and that was over at my, you know, friend's house, Kevin's house, and we would have fun over there. That's naturally where we were. We ought to think about fun and talk about fun in church also. As Christians, we ought to model having fun. And, you know, one th- for some reason, Christians, we come to church and we think it all has to be all so solemn. We've got to praise the Lord and we've got to praise the Lord like this. You know, I mean, we need to be having some fun. We need to enjoy it. You know, one thing, now whether you like Cam Newton or not, the Carolina Panthers quarterback, there's, yeah, I know, if you know what, I, okay, anyway. Some people know what that is. Some people don't. But, you know, whether you like him or not, I liked him more than the, but then he had this quote that came out this week. And, yeah, anyway. But one thing I've noticed with his team, he's having fun. I watched the game last week. He looked like a kid, you know, going to the park going, hey, guys, hey, Joe, you want to go play football? Grab your friends. Let's go play football. And he was just having a blast playing football. He enjoyed it. It affects the attitude of the whole team because our world watches us. And the first thing they think about when you hear the word Christian, you go out there into the world, what do they think? Boring. They think we're boring. We need to change that attitude because God wants us to live life to the fullest. And I believe healthy families have fun. Lisa and I, you know, about five years ago, we bought an RV and, and, and someone was like, well, you're only 40. Why are you doing that? That's what old people do. Such a waste. You, you know, you only use that a few times a year. It just sits there most of the time. Well, first off, we get a good deal on it, okay? But you know why I really did it? Because my father, who just turned 65, passed away. And I was 40, and I was having a child. And I just thought, I only have so many years 
with my family. We love camping, and I want, you know, I want that to be a part of our, you know, the, those fond memories that we have. And if I waited till I was 60 or 65, I wouldn't have those memories. You have to make things happen in your family to have memories. You just can't wish for it. You have to make it happen. We need to model fun for our kids. Now, my next thing was supposed to be a boat. We went camping with some friends that had a boat, and we had a blast. Brandon just loved it, and, and I was on the one-year plan to get a boat, and, and instead we got a Grayson. <laughs> so Grayson is now my boat, a uh, little child. So I don't know how I'm going to work that in in the next few years. I don't know. I keep wishing. But my wife goes, well, now I can see why people have a boat. And I went, boom, you just gave me permission. Excellent. Okay. Okay, she didn't really, but well, anyway, yeah. So how do we do this? How do we have fun in our family? We need to laugh. We need to laugh in front of our kids. We need to do some silly things. We need to be able to laugh at ourselves. Right now, Brandon gives me a fist bump or a high five. You know what I do? Fist bump, boom. Oh, Brandon, oh, turn down your power. And he just thinks that's hilarious, okay? We're walking down the hall and he hits me or something. I just slam into the wall, okay? And then I fall down on the floor. I like doing this. He, he, one, he thinks it's fun, okay? He thinks it's hilarious. But two, I'm trying to teach him it's okay to, to laugh at yourself, which is so crucial at his age to be able to just laugh. You know, sometimes I'm like, well, Brandon, he's finally got to that age where he starts to understand certain things. And I'll go, I'll say something funny, which I think is funny. And he'll, I'll say, you didn't think that was funny? And he'll look at me and he'll go, oh, yeah, that was funny, Dad. Ha, ha. So he, he learned the courtesy laugh thing. I'm like, great. But fun is biblical. Abraham and, and David, they had fun. Our heroes, they laughed. Ecclesiastes 3, it says that there's a time for everything. A time for, for laughter is one of those. And if you live life abundantly, you will need to learn how to laugh, how to have some fun. Proverbs 17:22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine. But our crushed spirit dries up the bones. Another place in Proverbs, a happy heart makes a cheerful face. Are you happy? I mean, are you really, really happy? Well, then start telling your face about that, okay? It needs to learn how to smile a little bit more. Now, last thing on this one, because I'm going to get behind on time if I don't hurry up. For some reason, we equate maturity with seriousness. Now, there are times that we need to be serious. Don't get me wrong. But come on. We need to lighten up. You can be mature and you can laugh and you can have fun. Jesus had a ton of fun. I mean, we're the ones who is, who are the ones that were serious in the Bible? The Pharisees. What did Jesus do most of the time with his disciples? Well, he traveled. Well, when you traveled back then, what do you, where did you sleep? A lot of times on the side of the road with a campfire. He loved to go camping. This is one reason I love to go camping. I mean, it's things that happen around the campfire. I could imagine Jesus sitting there because they drink wine all the time. I could imagine Jesus sitting there around the campfire, and Peter just does something funny, and Christ just spits wine out of his nose. Some people are like, oh, oh no, no way. No, 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 no. So what would his response be? Thou art funny, Peter. I delighteth in your humor. I mean, come on. 
If we don't believe that Jesus had a sense of humor, then I think we miss a part of God. One way to have fun is, you know, with your children is to listen. If you listen, you will know what makes them laugh. You will know. Okay, well, we need to move on. A in the word family is attention. We need to give more attention to our children. The time we spend with our children is crucial. Some people think quality is the best, you know, quality over time, but they're wrong. It is the amount of time that we spend with our children that is important. So, Pastor Allen, are, are you saying that I'm supposed to feel guilty that I'm not spending enough you know, time with my children? Well, to put it bluntly, yes. You need to feel guilty about that. You need to spend more time with your children. How does it make your child feel? And I, the only golfer I know here doesn't have children, so I'm not talking about here. Gary, Gary loves the golf, and I'm using a golfing example here, but I know it's not him. But, you know, how would your child feel if you said, well, I don't have enough time for you, and they see you walk out the door and go play golf with your friends for the next five hours? Hmm. They may not say anything, but they'll tuck that away. Because with absent parents, a lot of times kids struggle with anger. A Harvard, a Harvard study said that anger comes from parents being inaccessible, so it truly matters. This Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi, and he says in Philippians 2, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Now he's talking you know, to the church about the church here, but I really think that this can translate to families. He goes on to say in verse 4, each of you should not look to your own interest, or not. Uh, each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And we see that how you know we see how Jesus models this for us. Romans twelve ten it says, "Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves." This is attention. So some people are like, man, I, I need to unwind before I get home because when I get home, the kids just drive me nuts. Well, then figure out how to unwind before you get home. Don't walk out, you know, into the house all stressed out. You need to pause. You need to say a prayer. You need to do something. You know, uh, a lot of times when, when Lisa's gone for a day, you know, for work or she's driving or whatever, she gets back, she knows that I will give her enough time to go use the bathroom. But when she walks in, I'm like, here's the child. You know, especially with two of them right now. Unless they're sleeping and then, you know, she can take her time. But she knows that that's coming. So she, on the way home, she kind of decompresses before she gets home. Secondly, we need to value our child's world. My son got upset, really upset the other day. We left his favorite jacket at a friend's house. And uh, so I just grabbed one for, for school, and he wasn't happy about it. I'm like, Brandon, it's just a jacket. You're only going to wear it for a little while. You know, no big deal. Come on. But to him, it was so much no- more. For him, the jacket he left over at his friend's house was his ninja jacket, and he couldn't be a ninja without that jacket. And he goes to school, and they have playtime, and he can't be a ninja. That's his whole world. Now, for a five-year-old, that's important. For an adult, we go, come on, you got to be joking. So we need to understand the child's world. We need to value the child's world through their eyes. Okay, the M in family is the word model. We need to model encouragement. 
How do we know that they need encouragement? How do you know if a child needs encouragement? Are they breathing? That's it. Are they breathing? Are they alive? If they're alive, they need encouragement. No one ever said, hey, dude, dude, Andy, stop encouraging me. No one ever said that. You're like, no, I like like you. I want to hang out with you more. You know what I mean? We like encouraging people. We need to encourage our children. And 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. It strengthens them. It makes them strong. And this is important for our children. We need to be liberal with our praise. Now, don't make them out to be the greatest in the world, you know, 24-7, you're the greatest, and you can never do anything wrong. Don't make them out like that. Don't set them up for disappointment. Uh, disappointment. But we should be liberal with our encouragement because they desperately need it. Be careful with our words because James says, the tongue, uh-huh, small thing, right? The tongue, it can cause huge forest fires. We teach children, eh, you need to hold your tongue. Oh, oh, hold your tongue. And we don't literally mean grab the tongue. We mean shut up. Okay, that's what we really mean. We mean be quiet. Because you're going to say something you can't take back if you don't watch out. Parents, we need to hold our tongue sometimes. You know, the, the person who came up with the sticks and stones may break my bones, but words never hurt me. They're a total idiot. Okay? Proverbs 12 says, careless words stab like a sword. Man, encouraging words go, go pretty far. There's a story of the farmer who, who had a, a store in the corner, and the milkman would come in to, to you know, for the, deliver the milk for the day for people to come and buy every day. And he would see the farmer's daughter, and he would say, How's my list? I, I messed that one up. How is my little Miss America? He would say that to her every day. Well, she went on, and she got into junior high and high school. She decided, well, let me enter some pageants. Miss America was her goal. Who did she think when she won Miss America? The milkman. Words mean a lot. There are power in words. I think this every time I I rub my son's head and says, how is my Mr. Billionaire who is so talented and smart? (laughs) Man, I'm hoping. I'm trying. Proverbs 23, 25. May your father and mother be glad. May she who gave birth or gave you birth rejoice. Our children are a prize from God. They should be told 10,000 times, you know, you know, from us growing up. They should be told how much we love them and we are crazy about them. You know, my son has this rule he made up one day. He said, Dad, when we get upset with each other, the rule is we get over it. That's a great rule. Because, you know, you need to say what you need to say, right? And usually when we're done saying it, what happens? Our mind just sits there and thinks about it. As a parent and as a child. And my son has grabbed onto that concept. And when he finally goes, okay, I'm over it, he's over it. And I'm like, man, I'm learning from my child. Imagine that. I mean, this is awesome. It's a great rule for both parents and children. So how to encourage my child? Well, one is I get, I get personal. I don't say superficial. I catch them doing something right. I encourage them. 
especially during the teenage years when they need it the most. And don't expect it back, parents. It's later on that they come back and they say, wow, my dad or my mom really, really raised me well. It's not when you're doing it. They're irritated at you when you're doing it. Believe me, I understand. And I think you do too. For years, I did stuff with youth or or college students. It was always later when they came back and said, thank you. Thank you for coming and picking me up for the youth events. Thank you for teaching me these things. They didn't say thank you right then. Secondly, get inspirational. Write down these four words. I believe in you. I believe in you. Those are important words for a young person. I believe in you. They shape their lives. Jesus did this with Peter. He shaped him by changing his name to Peter. His name was Simon. And Peter means rock or stable or trustworthy or or capable. And many would have rolled their eyes and went, Peter? We kind of rolled their eyes. I grew up with Peter. He's none of those, you know. But Jesus helped shape Peter's life because of that. He knew what Peter could become. And thirdly, get physical. Give your children hugs and, and appropriate affection. Every child, you know, yearns for, for appropriate affection. And it doesn't go away when they get older, okay? Wrestle the, with them, whatever it is they need it. Studies show that dads have 37 seconds of meaningful conversation with their children a day. That's it. A half a minute, a little over half a minute, meaningful conversation. We need to change that in the Christian world. Studies also show that dads are one-sixth as affectionate as moms are. Hebrews 3.13, it says, and there we go, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. We need to encourage them. Okay, the I in the word means to invest. In the word family, it means to invest. Financial planners tell us that, that investing is, is great for our financial future, Right? We would all agree with that, right? And as we get older, we kind of get a little nervous about that, some of us. We are to invest in our children for the family's future. We need to invest in their abilities and their capabilities to help them choose a course in life. But first and foremost, for them to understand who Jesus is and how he fits into his life. I was so proud of my son the other day. He's asking the right questions. And it's not because I'm the perfect pastor parent, okay? But he's asking the right question. He goes, Daddy, where does, where does God live? It's a perfect question for a five-year-old. And we talked about the heavens and how God lives up in the heavens. And, stuff. and as he gets older, he'll get the nuance of God is everywhere and all that kind of stuff. But you keep it to their, you know, their understanding for a time. But for him to understand who Jesus is and what he means in his life, for him to accept Christ into his life, that is the most important thing that I could do for them. Proverbs 22.6, it says, Train a child in a way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. There's two different thoughts for scholars on, uh, on this proverb. The first is general truth about raising children. The patterns we set in childhood help dictate our life, right? Right, wrong, honesty, all those, you know, spiritual foundation. They will take that with them throughout their life. They will eventually make it their own and pass it on to their children. But there's a second thought to this verse. 
Train a child, train a child in a way he should go, and when he is old, he will not return, not turn from it. Some scholars are convinced that this is talking about child development, for a parent to figure out their child's abilities and train them in that direction, to understand the special ability that God has given them and encourage them in that way. I mean. Uh, yes, you can, you can encourage every child to be a rocket scientist, but I guarantee you every child is not going to be a rocket scientist. You know what I'm saying? An artsy, craftsy kind of, you know, uh, Michelangelo, uh, who's a famous artist? Michelangelo, I mean, there, there's a whole bunch of them, right? Think of any artist. Okay, they would not make a good rocket scientist, would they? Most likely not, okay? Just agree with me. Just say no, Okay. So, I mean, we, we, you know, but we got to find out their, their gifts and their ability and encourage them in that. It, you know, it's the idea of we need to find out what God has made them for and draw them in that direction. Either one of those thoughts I'm good with, okay? Train a child up in the way he should go or they should go. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. This involves the wisdom from God. We need to be praying about that. And I'm running behind time, so let me keep going here. Because if we get this right, it makes a world of difference. Okay, the, the I in family is, I mean, the L in family is, is for, for love. We need to love our children wholeheartedly, love them irrationally. They will become a well-established person in society if they are loved. Because we're all better off when we're loved, right? Completely. The root of negative relationships and families comes down to this. The love of the parent shouldn't be conditional. I'm trying to teach my child as much as I say that, you know, I, I, when, he's, when he obeys, I'm, you know, I, I do more stuff for him. When he disobeys, I do less stuff. But I'm also trying to teach him that no matter what he does, that does not change my love for him. That I do not like some actions that he does ever so often. But that doesn't mean that I don't love him. I shouldn't hold back my love when my child does something I don't like. Because it teaches them to become performers. And then performers, it teaches them to be people pleasers. John 3, uh, 35, it says, By this all men will know that they are my disciples, if you love one another. And the last letter in family is Y. It stands for yield. We need to yield our family to God. We need to surrender, we need to relinquish, we need to relax a little bit, we need to let go and let God take over our family. God loves my children more than I could ever love my children. He died for them. Deuteronomy 6, it says, love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. This means that Christ and God and the Holy Spirit ought to be a central part of your family, that you talk about this often around your children. It gives them a bigger picture than their little world that seems so big to them. The job of spiritual input is the parent's job. If we want our children to be godly children, then we need to live out that godliness in front of them, one. But secondly, we need to teach them and bring them along. 
The spiritual, you know, the spiritual training begins with their view of us as parents. How did we serve the Lord? How do we approach God? How do we treat Jesus in our work environment, in our home environment, our marriage, and our discipline? How do we do those things? In the name of Jesus. Therefore, we all have a big job in front of us, right? Because we're not out there alone. Some of us are sitting there going, well, I'm kind of alone out here parenting. You're not alone. Use us. We're here to help. Bring, you know, we're not here to replace. We're here to help. And we need to encourage and, and support each other in this endeavor because it's all about family, personal family and church family. We need to do these things for our children and for each other. Amen? Amen. Well, let's stand and pray and we'll finish up today. Lord, we know that family is so important that uh, you didn't leave Adam alone. You wanted him to have a wife. You wanted him to have children. You wanted that special relationship that you share not only with your son and, and the Holy Spirit, but that, that relationship you share with us. And I pray that you help us understand our children. Help us to raise them well. Give us the support we need. Give us the ideas that we need. And, and Lord, when we don't do well as parenting, that you correct us and, and we take that correction. And Lord, I, I pray for the children out here, the young people, the young adults here, that they will listen to the parents, that they will obey the parents, that they don't always have to agree, but they need to obey because that pleases you. And I pray that you remind them of that every single time. And they start to understand that, Lord. And as parents, Lord, I pray that you help us love our children more. You help us invest our time more. You help us have more fun with them. You help us pay attention to them. You help us love them. And Lord, we ultimately yield our family over to you. And we ask you to be the center of it. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. May he bless the families here at Valley Christian Church. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You guys have a wonderful day. Turn.